0: My wife and her mom, Peggy, had a wonderful combo Mother's Day birthday celebration uh, with last week. They flew back to Boston to be with our daughter Rachel, who has just, believe it or not, completed her first year of seminary at Gordon-Conwell. In fact, she will be received under care by our presbytery next week. And uh, Rachel had all kinds of surprises planned. She is the you know, consummate party planner. Uh, She scored some primo tickets at a Red Sox game at Fenway. And uh, Cindy, having lived in Boston for a while, she likes the Red Sox. And then they drove up to Maine and they stayed at a village that inspired Cabot Cove in the TV show Murder She Wrote. They love that show. How many ladies love that show? How many men love the fact that their ladies love that show? (laughs) And the worst of all were the pictures I kept getting of the food, cannolis and lobster rolls and lobster macaroni and cheese. I was dripping saliva all over my smartphone. Anyway, it was a pretty sweet hallmark channel Mother's Day experience for all of them. Yeah, that's a great pick, isn't it? I saw another image of Mother's Day week, though, and it was more Spike TV than Hallmark. I'll bet you saw it, too. Does the name Toya Graham ring a bell to you? She was the mom in Baltimore who called her 16-year-old rioting, and she gave him a whooping on national TV. There you go. Now, predictably, some of the pundits couldn't help themselves, and they criticized her parenting. One suggested that she should have a calm, mature discussion about the consequences of his misbehavior. (laughs) Yeah, right. And others of us were saying, You go, Mama! You slap those consequences right into that boy of yours. So whatever you thought of her methods... Everyone who watched that video said, whoa, I would not want to be on the receiving end of that side of motherhood. It was awesome, and it was terrifying, and I guarantee you that that boy got the message about what his mama expects of him, don't you think? I think he was a little shaken up, a little shaken up. And this morning, we see the awesome and terrifying side of the Holy Spirit, who chooses to shake up the church that He loves. We're continuing in our 90-day challenge. I want to continue to call you to faithfulness in this. How many of you read chapter 4 this week in your 90-day challenge? Good for you. Good for you. Keep practicing the disciplines. I know that some are saying, this is hard for me. Of course it's hard. What things aren't hard? What good things aren't hard? Dig in. Dig deeper. Keep reading, keep praying, keep reflecting, keep memorizing this text. And I want to remind you, every Monday morning, there is a new blog on our website. How many of you realize that? That's what I was afraid of, all three of you. I hope you've enjoyed what I labored to put up there every week. So come on the website. Thank you. Come on the website. Look for this. It flashes through and then and click it. Every Monday is a new reflection that I have written. And I would love to have, you know, more than the three of you actually read this. While I'm thinking about this, by the way, the reason this is red, it's our celebration of Pentecost. We always wear red. That's two weeks from now, by the way. Memorial Day weekend, it doesn't happen very often, but that also happens to be Pentecost. So let me just remind you, two weeks out, everyone wears red around here, okay? What do you wear in two weeks? Red. There we go, it'll be a lot of fun. So last week in chapter three three, three. <laughs> It's Mama's Day, Three. last week in chapter three, we read about Paul and John healing a beggar. Remember the story? It's a miraculous, powerful story of the healing of this man who had been lame from birth, and he's healed at the gate called Beautiful, right? And that's how we ended the chapter. Chapter 4, our chapter for this week, begins with them being arrested by the same guys who put Jesus on trial and crucified him. They arrest him and all of the same cast of characters are listed. Annas and Caiaphas and the whole family in addition to the Sanhedrin. They were making it a family affair. Why did they arrest him? Because they didn't like the fact that Peter and John were healing this man in the name of Jesus whom they had crucified. It's bad for business. And yet that's exactly what had happened and they really couldn't argue with what their evidence was before them. Because this guy who had been lame for 40 years was hopping all around the temple mount and thousands of people had seen him. And so as much as they would have liked to to do something more with them, at that time they just didn't have the courage because the, the people were with them. And so they, they let the, let Peter and John go. There will be times later when he, they will not let them go. But this time, he set, they are set free. And so they go back and they gather everyone in for a prayer meeting, right? You read through that prayer meeting and it's a, it's a powerful time because they, they look back and they see the prophecy of the Old Testament that predicted this time was coming and, uh, and they are celebrating. They're thanking God for what he, is, uh, what he is doing in their midst. So they have this great prayer meeting. Now, I want to pick it up at the end of that prayer meeting, okay? And I'm gonna tell you right now, I'm gonna cheat. Because really, if I would, the, the, the story that ends in chapter four moves on into the first part of chapter five. And so I'm cheating, I'm going ahead a little bit, it'll give you a jump on next week. And I want you to listen to this story about how the early church was shaken by an awesome and sometimes terrifying. Holy Spirit, okay? You ready for a story? After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the Word of God boldly. All of the believers were one in heart and Mind. None of them claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared with everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And there was much grace upon them all. There were none who were needy among them. For from time to time, those who owned land... And houses, would sell them and bring the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it would be distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles named Barnabas, which means "son of encouragement," he sold a a, a lot, a field that he owned. And brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now there was a man named Ananias. And together with his wife, Sapphira, they also sold a piece of property. With the full knowledge of his wife, he kept back part of the money for himself. But brought the rest of it and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. The young man came forward and wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door. And they will carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. The young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, although they were held in high regard by all the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. This is a story from Acts chapter 4 and 5, but there's a story from God's holy word. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, this is a hard word. It's a frightening word. We pray that you would bring to our hearts what we need to understand about it, that we might continue to grow in the power of your spirit. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that we're learning about the 90-day challenge, I hope we are learning that, is to, for us, every individual who has the Spirit living within us, to listen for the prompting of the Spirit. You do understand that's one of the things we're trying to learn, right? It's not just me telling you what to do on a Sunday morning. It's the Holy Spirit telling you day by day what to do. Well, this was one of those weeks for me where I was listening to the Holy Spirit and I felt prompted to change my sermon. So when you go to the journal, you're not going to find the same topic. I'm sorry, but I was moved by, as I read the text, I thought more and more I was moved by the power of this idea that the Holy Spirit shakes His church at times. The Holy Spirit shakes His church at times. And if you're paying attention throughout the reading, you'll see many instances in which that is so. I want you to notice, once again, they were gathered in a room. I bet it was the same upper room, don't you imagine? The same upper room where we met them back in chapter 1, they were gathered for prayer once again, and suddenly we read that the place was what? Shaken, say it, shaken. Isn't that, doesn't it remind us of their first encounter in the upper room that we read about in Acts 1 and Acts 2? The violent wind, right? Same sort of idea. The room was shaken. Can you imagine if we were in a prayer meeting and that started to happen? Well, actually it did. How many of you remember back in 2001, any of you women were sitting here at the time, the Bible study fellowship that was meeting in here, when the Nisqually earthquake struck? Uh, the, the They were going along teaching away, and suddenly the chimes in the choir loft began to clang together, and it got more and more violent. I wasn't in here, but I heard the tape of it. It was frightening, and pretty soon you hear the screams of Terror as they realize what is happening. And they say, get under the pews, get under the pews. And so they climbed under. And one of them said, now, don't worry about your children. Don't go to your children. They are being cared for. Unfortunately, one mom, that wasn't good enough for her. She came out of the pew. This is a little Mother's Day side note. She came out of that pew about two-thirds of the way back so fast she tore the end of the pew right off. We found it in the aisle when we came back. Four-inch screws that go into the oak. The the motto of that story, do not get between a mama and her baby. (laughs) So we know something of what it's like to have our building shaken. Once again, we read that the early church was shaken by the coming of the Holy Spirit. Once again, also, we we read that they were filled by the Spirit. You saw that, right? And I want to remind you of what I've been teaching you all along. We sometimes are taught that the filling of the Holy Spirit comes once or maybe twice. That's not what Paul teaches. It's over and over and over again. He tells the Ephesians, well, here in Acts, we discover that to be true because they were all together. Did that include Peter? And did that include John? Yes. Were they filled with the Holy Spirit in the first place? Yes. And yet, once again, even Peter, even John, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word with power. They were refilled. I've been asking you to make as a prayer in our journey, this prayer every day, Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, fill me. Have any of you prayed that prayer? And I would urge you every day, Holy Spirit, fill me. What I think you're going to discover when you do that going on, you're never going to want to give this up. You won't want it for one month. You're going to want it every day in your life. Holy Spirit, fill me to overflowing. That I know your power, your peace, your goodness. But that wasn't the only way that the Holy Spirit was shaking things up if you're paying attention in our text, turn with me, would you? I want to turn with me to Acts. I want you to read in verse thirty-three. See in verse thirty-three, Acts four, verse thirty-three. We read with great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. You see that word power. The Greek word for that is dunamai. What word does dunamai sound like? Dynamite! Dynamite! And it wasn't just dynamite, it was great dynamite. We read that the the apostles preached like dynamite. That shakes things up, don't you imagine? And then a very disturbing event occurs and shakes things up. Turn to chapter 5. We read verse 5. We hear the same thing twice, don't we? And great fear seized all who heard what happened. And then we drop down to verse 11. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Do you see why I felt compelled to change direction? You read this chapter, you read this passage, and again and again and again, you're seeing the Holy Spirit has come in and has shaken things up. He came at Pentecost, and these once cowardly apostles are suddenly speaking with dynamite power in languages they have never learned, Miraculous signs and wonders are being performed, and all of this is being done in the name of the risen Jesus of Nazareth. The Holy Spirit was taking Jerusalem by storm, and Luke can't help but mention the numbers, how they continue to grow, continue to grow, continue to grow. And now, after really only a few days, perhaps, there are something like 10,000 of them, including women and children. Everything for the early church is up and to the right. And then something happens that shakes the church to its core. And I want to take a look at the context of this story that I just told you. One of the conspicuous things that we discovered about conspicuous Christians last week, one of the conspicuous things we discovered was their compassionate generosity. Remember? Again and again, we see the same theme being repeated. I want you to remember that this time, this culture, was a culture that did not care for poor people. Couldn't have cared less. For the Romans, they were simply their slaves. But even the Jews viewed poverty as an indication of God's disfavor. It was kind of Jewish karma. If you were poor, God didn't like you as much as if you were rich. But if you will recall in the teachings of Jesus, he reminded them that is not the God that the Old Testament reveals. The God of the Old Testament is revealed to be a God who is compassionate on the afflicted. He reaches out to the marginalized and he cares for the poor. And we see the Holy Spirit-filled early church modeling that generosity, modeling that compassion. It's no wonder that they were growing by leaps and bounds because the people had never seen anything like this. In fact, the people, we are told, the early believers, are so inspired by this that some of them begin to sell their possessions, their land, their homes, and, and they give it to, uh, to the apostles to be shared with those who had less I'm so excited. This is a wonderful week for me to be able to preach this story. Because this week, two men came to me. One told me, I just want you to know I felt led by the Holy Spirit. I have changed my will. And I've remembered my church in the will. Another man I spoke to yesterday just sold a huge property down south. And he has said, I want to tithe that sale to the, to the debt of the church. So the Holy Spirit continues to stir God's people to be generous and to serve in the ministry of the church. And I, did you notice how many times the word feet comes up? He put them at the apostles' feet, put them at the apostles' feet, put them at the apostles' feet. They were bringing what they had and laying right down there for everyone to see. The truth is we tend to hide our financial dealings here. That's part of our culture. We don't talk about our finances. It is uncouth for us to do so. Can you imagine a transparency in the body that says, here, we're going to exchange checkbook registers. We're going to take a look at how each other spends, what we spend it on, how we save, and how much we give away. Do you think that would bring all of us to a level of accountability? Because that's exactly what was happening. The honesty the transparency of this early church, laying this money right down at the feet of the apostle. And one of those early donors was a sweetheart of a guy named Barnabas, the son of encouragement. I think he's one of the sweetest men in Scripture. And we're going to see more of him. But the first introduction, the clever way that Luke introduces him, is Barnabas shows up. He sold a field. He lays the money down in front of the apostles for the ministry of the church. And then comes... That awful Holy Spirit moment that shakes the early church, like I said, Ananias and Sapphira. Talk about your feel-good story, right? Nothing says Mother's Day text like a husband and wife being struck down by God, right? Even reading the story shakes us as a congregation. It is a disturbing story, isn't it? But it was obviously important to the church. It was formative in the early church. And so we can't un- ignore it. We need to understand what is going on here and what we learn about the Holy Spirit because of this story. So, first question. First question. Did God strike them down because they didn't give all their money to the apostles? Yes or no? No! i tell you, I would never have to do a stewardship campaign if God did that just one Sunday here. But this isn't about money. Peter makes it very clear in his question to Ananias. Didn't the land belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? You hear what he's saying, right? In other words, he's saying, you could have given anything you wanted to. If Ananias and Sapphira had said, we sold our property, we want to give half of the proceeds, Peter would have said, thank you, God bless you, and that would have been the end of it. So if it wasn't about God being greedy and needing all of the money for himself, what was it about? What was it about? Lying. Lying to the Holy Spirit. Listen to Peter. How is it that Satan has so filled your heart? that you have lied to the Holy Spirit. You have not lied to men, but to God. By the way, here's one clear place. If you want to understand what the Bible teaches, that the Holy Spirit is God, here it is, lied to God, lied to the Spirit. Same thing. Ananias and Sapphira were struck down, not for keeping a portion of their prophets, but for lying to God. As Peter asked, What made you think of doing such a thing? Don't you hear the pain in his voice when he asks that? And what is the only possible answer to that question? Here it is. They wanted to pretend to be something that they weren't. They wanted to get credit for being more generous than they really wanted to be. They wanted. They watched person after person walk up and, and lay down gifts at the feet of the apostle. And they said, I want some of that attention. We want some of that glory. And they joined the parade for all of the wrong motives. They wanted credit inside, in the sight of men. They wanted recognition. The bigger the gift, the bigger the honor. But they didn't really want to give away all that money. And so they came up with the perfect scheme. Hide some, Give some more and claim that they were giving all and they would be heroes. Such hypocrisy. And yet, did it deserve a death sentence? Isn't that a little harsh? Apparently the Holy Spirit didn't think so. Remember, this was the early days of the Christian community, right? They are developing a culture that is going to sustain them as they go out into the world. In fact, within a few chapters, the public opinion is going to swing on them and suddenly they're going to be arrested. They're going to be tortured. They're going to be persecuted. They're going to be killed. And they're going to be chased out of Jerusalem into the far corners of the world. And there's no room for pretenders, for those who claim to be Christians because it is the popular thing to do. But who? At the first sign of sacrifice or persecution, turn tail and run. There's no room for that. And that's exactly what Jesus taught. You do remember that, don't you? Jesus didn't talk people into following him, if you will recall. He talked people out of following him. In Luke chapter 14, we heard about those who claimed that they wanted to be his disciples. But one of but, but not quite. Not yet, they said. One of them had a piece of land he'd bought and he wanted to go examine it. Who would buy a piece of land that they hadn't already looked at? One of them wanted to test out the the new oxen that they had just bought. One of them had just got married, wanted to go on the honeymoon. But when all of this was done, then they would come. And Jesus said, fine, go do those things. But you can't follow me. You can't follow me. Following me must be the priority of your life. It costs to be my disciple. In fact, he goes on to say in that same chapter, if you are not willing to take up your own cross... If you're not willing to lay down your life, then you cannot be my apostle. You cannot be my disciple. And we read that people begin to winnow out with that word. Of course they did. We heard the same thing today. No one else dared to join them. Do you hear that? No one else dared to join them, although they kept believing quietly. Perhaps this punishment was so harsh because the Holy Spirit could not allow the early church to be polluted by pretense and hypocrisy. They could never accomplish the mission that Christ had set before them if they were double-minded. And this isn't new in the Bible. Remember when the, the Jews were at the foot of Sinai and Moses is up on the mountain receiving the law? After a while, they began to doubt whether he was coming back down. And so just in order to hedge their religious bets... What they do, they collected all of the wedding bands and rings and they built a golden calf and worshipped him just to cover all of their religious bases, just as the bumper sticker said, just to coexist. And what did God have to say about that idolatry? He struck them down. Three thousand of them were struck down in that day. By the way, did you notice at the second Pentecost how many came to life that day? 3,000, that's the other side of the Pentecost. But on that moment, 3,000 were struck down. He could not allow the idolatry to pollute his people. So is this story any different? Ananias and Sapphira made an idol of their wealth, made an idol of their phony reputation. And God brought judgment, harsh judgment upon them, and he shook up the whole church so that they would understand what was at stake. And I bet they understood Great fear seized the whole church. Once in a while, the church needs to be seized with a little fear. But I think we are shaken by this story for another reason. And here it is. We get a glimpse of the holiness of God. I touched on this in my prayer this morning. We forget that God is awesome in his holiness. We see this in the Old Testament, don't we? Moses couldn't even look straight at God without dying. Remember that? They couldn't set foot on Mount Sinai, or they would die when God was down. The holiness of God. And it is like us, when we look upon God, we can't bear it. It's like staring straight into the sun. Our eyes cannot take it. And we're so used to thinking about God as being compassionate and forgiving, grandfatherly type. And he is compassionate and forgiving, but he is also awesome and holy and not to be trifled with. Back to the story of Toya Graham. You know, don't you, that when that little boy was a baby, that she held that child tenderly in her arms. And you know when he came to her as an eight-year-old, eight-year-old who had been bullied on the streets, she hugged him and kissed him and comforted him. That is a mother's love. But a mother's love is also wrathful. And when she sees her baby doing something that is harmful or disreputable or dishonoring to the name, then she is ready to deliver a slap down as she is a hug. And this is the side of the Holy Spirit that is revealed in this text. He is the Spirit who soothes us. Jesus called him the comforter. He is the Spirit who empowers us. We saw that in the coming of Pentecost. But he is also, what's his first name? Holy. He is Holy Spirit when we invite him to fill us when we are inviting him to change us to purify us to make us more like Jesus and in this chilling story we see an extreme case where the spirit brings judgment upon those whose hypocrisy and falsehood threaten the preciousness of the Christian community how many of you've read chronicles of narnia the lion the witch the wardrobe in that and you've all heard about it because it's been a great tv a movie series In that story, Aslan is the lion. He is the Christ figure in the story. And one of the children at one point asks Mr. Beaver, is Aslan safe? Remember that? And he responds this way, safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. There's a sense in which the Holy Spirit is not entirely safe. He asks us to do risky things. He empowers us to do impossible things. He lays bare every sin, every lie, every pretense in our life. It is a risky thing to do what I've invited you to do, which is to say, Holy Spirit, fill me. It is risky. He is not safe, but He is good. and He is our King. The Holy Spirit is coming upon this church in a powerful way. I hear it from every corner. Don't you experience this right now? There's something that's been powerful as we've lifted up the Holy Spirit in this season and we are hearing it from every corner. It is a good and exciting and fruitful thing. But mark my words, we will also be shaken by it. The Holy Spirit is going to shake us until we cough up the grudges that we prefer to hold. He is going to shake us until we finally reconcile with our enemies as Jesus told us to. He's going to shake us until the stingiest among us sees that his money is not his money at all. He's going to shake us until every gossip's tongue is quieted. He's going to shake us until every unfaithful spouse repents. He's going to shake us until every person who claims to be a follower of Jesus either flees because they cannot bear the light of truth shown upon their life or until every pretense is revealed and confessed and forgiven. At its core, this story is about hypocrisy, about pretending to be something we are not. Jesus says, follow me, offer me everything, offer me all that you are, both good and bad. Do not lie to me, do not pretend, don't offer it to me, just offer it to me and I will fill you with my spirit and I will make you good. And that is our prayer. That is our prayer. So, Holy Spirit, with trepidation, once again, we invite you to fill us. Lay bare every sin. Lay bare every lie. Lay bare every pretense. Every person who is squirming here today, may they see that as your work in their life, calling them to account for the hypocrisy that must be confessed in the way that we live, in the way that we give, in the way that we treat one another. Holy Spirit, we invite you to soothe, to comfort, to empower, to transform, and to shake us. May we be a church worthy of our Lord, worthy of the mission to which we have been called. And all of God's spirit-filled and shaken people said,